1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 564 with Marco Greenberg. Marco is sharing how some of the most successful people, what's motivating them, what's driving them, and how you can tap into some of that primal motivational force. If your motivation's been dragging a bit lately, I think Marco's got some good answers for you. So you'll learn one why the world's most successful people are primitive. Two, how to tap into your primal drive using the roaming framework. And three, how to weaponize your insecurities. So if you want to check out the show notes with the transcript or the links to ads we've referenced, you can expand your episode notes or description or visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash F564 to get those goodies that way. Now, Here's Marco's story. Michael Greenberg has spearheaded marketing communications and public affairs campaigns for an array of Fortune 500 corporations, healthcare organizations, and notable venture and angel-backed startups. And has served as a senior advisor to foreign governments, democratic movements, and NGOs. Previously, a managing director at global PR giant Burson Marsteller, he sees his role as a creative catalyst for breakthrough communications. He's an in-demand speaker and facilitator who's written opinion pieces for numerous publications including Business Insider and more. He holds up bachelor's from UCLA and a master's from Columbia University's School of International Public Affairs. He's taught as an adjunct professor of innovations and marketing at NYU in entrepreneurship and PR at Fordham University. He splits his time with his wife and three grown children between the Upper West Side of Manhattan and Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Big thanks to Marco for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Now, here's Marco. Marco, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Hey, terrific to be on your podcast, Pete.
1: Well, you know, before we hit record, I learned that we shared a pretty cool connection, and that's uh, Mr. Hugh O'Brien, which was an inspiration in my life with his Hobie, Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Organization, and a client of yours. I know he's generous and loving and also catankerous and... um well he will be missed in this world so could you tell us a noteworthy hugh story to kick us off
2: i'd be happy to i I was introduced to hugh o'brien by literally the most legendary figure in the history of public relations harold burson who, who sadly passed away a couple months ago just shy of his 99th birthday and harold called me into his office he said, look, I have a really important client to introduce you to who I love, but I want to give you a little bit of a warning about Hugh O'Brien. <laughs> he can be incredibly intense, so much so that we've had other people running in the account who ran for the hills or started crying because they couldn't deal with him. He is uh, absolutely messianic about what he wants to accomplish. He will act as if you have no other clients. But he's someone that makes a difference. He's someone that makes an impact. I think you will be great to run the account. And sure enough, I was the young uh, 20-something account executive on the Hugh O'Brien Foundation account, uh, running the gala, the awards, et cetera. And, and I learned a tremendous amount from him. And the fact of the matter is, and I hadn't thought of this, Pete, until you made the connection between Hugh O'Brien and my own career, but in my lexicon, Hugh is a classic primitive, meaning he marches to his own drum. He's an iconoclast, he was non conventional, um, he threw out the civilized rule book. And for some people, that didn't jive well with their attitude of what you're supposed to do in the workplace. But for other people, it was actually key to his success. It Mm -hmm. was key to his ability to move the ball forward like nobody else.
1: Okay. Well, that is good. And um, boy, you got all these Hugh memories coming back. I've learned a ton from him. And I remember he once shared with us that, uh, so he was an actor, for those who don't know, Hugh O'Brien. He played Wyatt Earp back in the day on the TV series was his big role. And he started this great organization that kind of got me started in this leadership development world. But I remember he said that Gregory Peck left him a voicemail, another uh, famous actor from back of the day, who my mom loves. And he didn't get around to returning the call before Gregory passed away. And uh, I've thought about that many, many times in terms of like, don't be too busy to reach out to your people. And it's a good reminder. The
2: human touch doesn't go out of style. Mm -hmm. And I think in this world of AI and big data and globalization and outsourcing and all the trends that we see, I I would argue that that human factor is more important than anything.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And I'm with you. So let's dig into the topic du jour there. We had a little little hue time. Let's see. We're talking about – so you got this book here. Primitive tapping the primal drive that powers the world's most successful people. So, sounds helpful. (laughs) Tell us, what is that primal drive? First of all, what is that thing?
2: Well, you know, there are a lot of people today that are described as uh, disruptors, mavericks, rebels, non-traditional hires. There are all kinds of different adjectives that are thrown out there. But I, I think when you, when you get down to it, when you do a reality check, when you do a gut check, it's really about what is that primal drive in our core? What are the instinctive, inborn, natural traits that oftentimes society says you shouldn't do that? You must not do that. But if we honor what's primal and obviously what's primal can often be childlike right and that can be a loaded attribute but I found in the people that I've worked with who have risen at the top, whether they are the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, whether they are the founders of tech unicorns, whether they are the executive directors of NGOs, whether they are actually secretaries of state. And I'd be happy to share a few stories uh, of anecdotes that I had with two secretaries of state that were, were very instructive for me in my career. I think a lot of the time you find that they are honoring their primal instincts, that which comes naturally, that which is organic, rather than trying to bury it, like most people are taught to do. Most people think, well, that's not appropriate. I've got to cross my T's and dot my I's. I should follow the more conventional path. But what I've discovered is the most successful people out there are those that In the words of a famous book, take the road less traveled.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's an interesting theory. And then what's the primal drive? I mean, so they do things differently. They march to the beat of their own drum and they aren't afraid to kind of shuck or disregard uh, certain civilized uh, norms as necessary. And so then kind of what's kind of getting them fired up and in motion?
2: There are a lot of dynamics going on with these primitive characters. Uh, let's take an uber primitive in my book, someone like Elon Musk. A- and when you look at Elon Musk, he, he's not someone that plays by the conventional rules, right? And originally, my book was supposed to be on marketing. And how do you get it out there? And thankfully, I have a more primitive agent, and I'll explain why, meaning a literary agent who said, you know, marketing books are a dime a dozen. Why do you want to do that? Why don't you do something more unique? And he asked me, what what separates the most successful people that you worked with and work and currently work with and in the past worked with and want to work with? And the first answer that I had is, they're friggin' nuts. Mm-hmm. They're crazy. <laughs> they are out there. They are eccentric. They um, throw out the rule book, as we said. Sometimes they're inappropriate, not in an offensive or legal illegal way, but just doing things in a bizarre, offbeat, free spirit kind of way. So if we go back to Elon Musk, um, he's certainly nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say nuts, I mean crazy in a good way, in a positive way. And that same nut spirit allowed him to launch PayPal, allowed him to get into the space business when people said, You have no business doing that. What do you know? And he got into that. And look at Tesla, you know, flying high uh, as of uh, the beginning of the year in a way that no one would have thought. So I would argue that it's not necessarily the conventional way of following, with all due respect, the Harvard Business School case study of how a CEO should act, but rather someone who writes his own script. And I think with Elon Musk, he does that. And I'd be happy to explain how and how listeners can also, in, in, in my words, make a couple primitive moves. In other words, even if you're quite civilized, quite conventional. Um, more in the lane, more in your own world, your own box. Sometimes it's important to get out of that comfort zone and make a primitive move, be a little more nuts. And I can go through a different prescription on how to do that uh, when it's, when, when it makes sense with you, Pete. But I wanted to throw that out as just a paradigm. But whether it's Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Oprah Winfrey, they're there are many, many leaders that exhibit these kind of extraordinary traits that we talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're nuts and they're
1: unconventional. And so then what is that, their primal drive? Like what is their fuel source that gets them moving? It's unique.
2: I think it comes down to how they measure success. And obviously you can define success in a myriad of ways. But from the research that we've done in the book, from the over 60 interviews, from talking to neuropsychologists and others who, frankly, have expertise that I don't, uh, most of my expertise, as I mentioned, is, is in the trenches, is in the weeds. I think the primal drive comes in four areas. One is um, certainly they want to be well compensated, right? That's not a trivial thing. They they want to be appreciated. And for good or for bad in our society, often that comes down to uh, the almighty dollars, they say. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a lot more than that. I think uh, it's also about making an oversized impact in their own world and on the world at large. I think it's retaining their sense of independence. These are not women and men who follow orders. You know, my, my dad was a classic primitive. He was a modern architect who, who died way before his time. But he was in the U.S. Air Force uh, Reserve between Korea and Vietnam. And he entered as a third-class private. And six years later, he left as a third-class private. And he said, make me a general general. Or leave me a private, but I refuse to pass on silly orders. So <laughs> we actually have that quote in 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 the book, <laughs> and for good reason. Because in my view, that kind of captures the spirit of why independence is everything. And and, and you hear the term, and I hope I can use this on your podcast, Pete. Uh, Fu money, mm-hmm. um, and. That is another way of talking about a way to get independence, but I think on a primal level, it's A, that impact, B, that independence, and it's also something that I've heard you talk about in past podcasts, and it's something that other people in business, in my view, don't discuss enough, and that's the ability to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a former client in Boston. His name is Mike Ikebucci. He has a great startup that's now very mature called Interaction. Uh, they do amazing, amazing work on the voice recognition side. Apple is one of their big clients. And he says to me, you know, it's it's now my what third, fourth startup. And I ask myself every day, Am I having fun? am I still having fun? If I'm having fun, I'm going to do it. If I'm not having fun, I'm not going to do it. So the primal drive certainly comes from being recognized. And often that's from a monetary point of view, but it also comes from, am I making an impact? Can I retain my sense of independence? And am I having fun? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Well, so then let's see, did we get four there? Well compensated, make an advertised impact, have fun.
2: What's the other one? Uh, maintain that sense of independence. It's certainly about the independence, and and uh, but a lot more. And the good news is that you don't necessarily have to be an uber primitive like Elon Musk to capture that kind of spirit in your work. Um, you can tap into that. Hence the subtitle of the book: uh, "Tapping the Primal Derive That Powers the World's Most Successful People."
1: -hmm. And so then I would love it if you could share a story or two of particularly professionals, would be ideal, of those who indeed they were untapped into their primal drive and then they did something
2: that tapped it and then the cool results they saw as a result. I'd love to. And speaking of love, I'm going to start with a former coworker and friend who actually goes by the name of Love. Love is his first name. Okay. And his full name is Love Welchel the 3rd. And I met Love when he was running talent development at Yugen Rubicam, one of the big advertising agencies out there. And what I realized about Love and his career, both before I met him and after um, we had stopped working together, was that he was a classic agnostic primitive. And when I mean agnostic, not someone who specializes, not someone who is all about focus, but rather someone who jumps from field to field, job to job. A true Renaissance man, Renaissance figure who makes that the essence of his DNA. So love started out working as a roadie for NWA. Remember the, mm-hmm. the rap group? Right. Um, he went on to selling books for Deepak Chopra. He then got onto Madison Avenue where I met him and when he, and we feature him in the book at a crucial uh, crossroads in his own career. When he got a conversation going with uh, Sean Combs, none other than P Diddy. (laughs) And he met with P Diddy on a Friday afternoon about taking over his head of uh, HR and operations at bad boy entertainment. And he's, Going home and he's thinking about his conversation with Sean and whether he should leave y and r and Sean calls him on the phone as he's driving, and he says, "Love, I gotta know if you're taking the job and love says uh mr combs we 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 just met. I need time to think about it. I need time to process it." He said, Love, I'm not going to have a good weekend unless <laughs> you tell me you're taking the job." <laughs> And in a heartbeat, his whole life went before him. And rather than being, uh, you know. can't
1: ruin P. Diddy's weekend. You can't can't ruin P. Diddy's weekend. (laughs) That's just
2: unacceptable. And exactly. And Pete, what do you think? What do you think Love Mm -hmm. said? Yes, I'll do it. He said, yes, I'll do it. (laughs) <laughs> and, and he did it for several years and, and helped take that company to a new level. And FYI, he's now at, at Vera Wang, uh, working for another total primitive in the fashion world. So here he goes from, you know, entertainment to advertising to fashion. And we have a great quote from, from love in the book. He goes, when, when, when he gets a new assignment, he feels like he's been dropped in the jungle with nothing but his loincloth and a penknife <laughs> and has to fight his way out so for me that kind of captures the spirit of it and and no you do not have to be a guy I think this I've gotten great feedback from a lot of people who say that this book is actually more appropriate for women than men and I can explain why in in a moment if that's of interest but but that's an example of a, of, a, of a pure primitive I, I do think there are people that are really hyper civilized again that's the kind of other side of the coin in terms of these archetypes, there's a woman named Bonnie who I've worked with over the years. Probably more to the book, uh, conservative, uh, risk averse, um, works her way up the hierarchy. Has been in the same industry for for years. She worked with me at BBDO. She was there for a quarter of a century. She said that she made a primitive move. By going to her boss and saying, no, I do not want that promotion. And the reason she said no, which took a lot of courage, it was the kind of offer that you couldn't refuse, that 99% of her colleagues would have said, yes, I'm taking that job. And unlike Love, she said, no, I'm not taking the job. And part of it, she traced back to kind of making a primitive move and being oppositional which is one of the key traits to being a primitive that I, I think is worth talking about, and having the courage to say no, having the courage to say, I don't see it that way, especially in a world in corporate America that a lot of times there's a lot of groupthink going on out there, and we all shake our head, yes, 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 even though in our hearts and our minds we're thinking something else. Mm-hmm, okay,
1: so then I'm curious, for those who are conservative and then we want to tap into the primal drive, how is that done?
2: I put a prescription together. And one of the books on PR that I suggested all my students read was uh, Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers. Have you ever read that book? I have it on my shelf and we interviewed Dan Heath uh, recently. Oh, he's he's just he's oh, yeah. just amazing. And you know, for me that teaches us the value of the unexpected, but it also teaches us the importance of picking the right acronym, something that uh, sticks, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. that's memorable. And I was inspired by them. And after I came up with the premise for the book, I sat on my couch one morning and I wrote primitives are roaming, kind of like our ancient ancestors, right? And I'm not talking about roaming on our cell phone. I'm talking about getting out there and exploring unconquered territory. And I started with that theme and then I worked backwards and said, what does roaming stand for? And how can it help people out there that feel stuck in their career, that feel burnt out, that feel underappreciated? And you know how many people that describes, right? It's We're talking in the millions. So for me, and I'll go through it very quickly and then I'd be happy to dissect it. For me, uh, people who are roaming are... A, relentless, that's the R, and it doesn't just mean working hard, uh, it means sometimes stopping and then restarting or jumping lanes, but it means not forgetting what our big goals are, what those big targets are. Um, o, as we mentioned earlier, is for oppositional, the courage to say, you're wrong, and here's why, rather than just shaking our head, yes, 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 and engaging in more destructive groupthink. think. Uh, The A is for agnostic, being able to roam from field to field rather than just being uh, one occupation your whole life. You know, a lot of people were typewriter repairmen in the day. You know, that job has gone uh, by the wayside along with a lot of other uh, occupations. Uh, M is one of my favorites, Pete, and M stands for messianic. Not necessarily being uh, religious, but it does come from the word Messiah. And it's seeing that you have a divine calling, that it's more than a job. It's even more than a career. And I love to tell you about some people that represent that messianic fervor. I think Elon Musk certainly is one, but there are tons of others that do. Um, I is a bit of a counterintuitive one. It's insecure. Yes, insecure. We're told to be confident and, uh, you know, have that swagger. I-, I would argue some of the most successful people I've worked with are actually insecure. I have some anecdotes about Richard Branson as an example of that. And it's not um, ignoring your insecurity like some do. It's embracing it. It's weaponizing it. Uh, N is for nuts. Yes, you got to be a little crazy in the good sense of the word. Um, and G uh, is gallant, being noble. Not just thinking of yourself but looking out for for the others. So together it spells roaming. And I think you can give a prescription for people who want to tap into this primitive drive but understandably don't want to get fired, don't mm-hmm. want to be so out there that they're um, an outcast. They want to be team players but at the same time they want to maintain their independence and be that uh, that that contrarian out there that actually can take an organization to new heights.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, I'd love to hear. I guess each of these R O A M I N G <laughs> has some things you can do to tap into it. So why don't we start with insecure and Richard Branson while we're there, and then maybe you can share any of the other kind of most um, accessible and powerful means to you know tap into that power. Right. So. How do we weaponize insecurity in a helpful way?
2: Right. Well, it it makes me think of my own career. And I was working for BBDO, the big advertising giant, in their Israeli office. And I met with a wonderful guy uh, uh, who was the former chief rabbi of Ireland. And Hmm. he was in Israel at the time, uh, Rabbi Rosen. And he looked at me and he said, Marco, you know, just because we're paranoid, doesn't mean they're not trying to kill us.
1: <laughs> so it was the first time
2: I've heard that. And you guys and viewers out there probably heard of Andy Grove and you know from I, Intel, Intel and, yeah. and only the paranoid survive. So it kind of derives from that. But the idea is here we are in a world where I can't tell you how many millennials have worked for me and what's one of their favorite expressions? It's all good. And sometimes it's not all good. Sometimes it's really messed up. So I think the all good kind of mindset comes from a position of, you know, chill, let's just be relaxed, go with the flow. It is what it is. But oftentimes in business, we have to be more primal and think like cavemen and cave women. that, yeah, we're being attacked right now, and this is a time where we might want to tap into that primitive mind as opposed to the cerebral mind, right, and, and be more instinctive and be more quick and be more fast. And there was a time where neuroscientists thought, oh, the primitive mind has no meaning. We should be cerebral. We should be rational. We should be logical. But recently, including MIT scientists, discovered that actually there's a lot to do with the primitive brain. So on that insecure front, I think it, it relates very directly to that. Back to Richard Branson, um, weaponizing your own insecurity. There is a wonderful podcast on Freakonomics where Stephen Drubner interviews Richard Branson. And Branson admits in front of his executives when they're talking about financials at virgin he stopped them and he wasn't clear and his top lieutenants didn't want to embarrass him but they realized that here a billionaire sir richard branson a legend didn't know the difference between net and gross and he admitted it And he admitted that he had learning disabilities as a kid and was never very good at math. So they literally drew a figure of a net, like a fisherman. Mm -hmm. And they said, Richard, the fish that you keep... That's the net, the fish that go in the net and then jump back in the water. That's your gross. And he said, thank you. I got it. So in <laughs> other words, <laughs> here's a great executive who doesn't try to, you know, put the wool over people's eyes and act. Well, I got this, right? Mm-hmm. He says, no, I don't got this. I'm. Insecure. And, and there are plenty of other examples. There's one in the book that I'm, I'm very fond of, a former colleague who's now running all of marketing for YouTube in EMEA, right? Uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Her name is Ricky Drory. And we have an anecdote with her that she proudly says, I'm the most insecure person I know. And she says it with glee. And part of that is it keeps her on her toes. It keeps her always moving forward. It's not taking things for granted. Instead, it's always trying to, yes, take it up a notch. hmm okay,
1: I hear you there. So then with the insecurity, it can be quite powerful for, well, hey, you know, Brene Brown and others talk about the power of vulnerability for letting other people be honest and psychologically safe and contribute great ideas, as well as you have some paranoid hustle, you know, that can emerge uh, when you're thinking, okay, this is about to be taken from me. So, okay, that's helpful. And then let's talk about oppositional. I can see the others kind of um, maybe more intuitively, but if you're feeling uncomfortable about being oppositional, even though you think there could be quite helpful and powerful,
2: what do you do? It comes down, I think, and I'm saying this as a PR guy and you don't, necessarily need media training for this, but it, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> I think it's, it's how you say it. Um, if you say it in a disrespectful way, Marco, you're dumb and that's never going to work. Exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you say it in a demeaning way, um, you're not going to get what you want. Right. But if you're able to say, look, I hear what you're saying. In fact, I used to think that way myself, but I got to tell you, I disagree, respectfully, lovingly. I disagree, mm. and here's why. So it's it's what you say, but it's also even more important how you say it. I I got to say one of the most influential people, not just in my business life but in my life, who I dedicate this book to, is the late Danny Lewin. Uh, Danny was the co-founder. And chief technology officer of Akamai Technologies. Uh, Without going into all the details, tragically, uh, Danny was the first person killed on 9-11. He was a former commando in the Israel Defense Forces. Uh, He stood up against the hijackers and he was killed before the plane went into the first tower. Um, Danny was a classic oppositional primitive, and not just because he fought back on 9-11. It's how he did business. Pete, I might be the first person that ever says a phrase in Hebrew on uh, awesome at your job, but I'm going to do it with your permission. You're not correct, and I'm going to explain Why? And that's, that's, that's that's what, that's what Danny did in a charming, loving way that people thought was irresistible. And guess what? It took him to new heights. Mm -hmm. And we have an anecdote in his, in the book on when he went head to head with Jeffrey Skilling. Do you remember that name? Oh yeah. Enron. Totally. So Danny was brought down by Enron to meet in Houston with the Enron team. This was a time when Enron, these were the smartest guys in the mm-hmm. room. They could do no wrong. No one had heard of Akamai Technologies. And Skilling had a certain idea for him getting involved in the content delivery business over the World Wide Web. And Danny said, Jeff, that's a horrible idea. And mm-hmm. I'm going to explain to you why. Um, <laughs> needless to say, the meeting didn't last long. uh But the point there is that when people um, at Enron were just saying yes, yes, yes to Jeffrey Skilling, who was later indicted and sent to jail, as you well know, Mm -hmm. that's not a good thing. So I think it's the like anything, it's the happy balance between, yes, we want to be team players, but part of our responsibility as a team player is to also indicate when we think things are headed south in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of fear associated with being oppositional, and there's some ways that you can be diplomatic and helpful and as you do so. But I think what's fascinating is there are times when, boy, when you're oppositional, it goes fabulously well. There was, I remember I had a friend who was a, a relationship therapist and she had some hotshot executive who was unaccustomed to having people mm-hmm. disagree with him and kind of uh, show him what was inconsistent or a blind spots in his thinking and logic. And, Approach, and so he was just like amazed by this relationship. Therapist he's like, "You need to come work for me."
2: <laughs>
1: and I had a encounter in college. One of my good friends, Anne, you know, she was dating a guy who I thought was kind of funny, but also kind of mean. And so I remember, I, I think I was a little more um, wildly out there uh, <laughs> in my youth, and I said, "Oh yeah, he's really funny and smart. Although sometimes does he ever kind of strike you as maybe just a little bit of a..." a-hole. I said the real word. This is a clean podcast. And she laughed and said, yes, he very much does. Uh, Later they (laughs) broke up and we're still great friends. And she really appreciated that candor. And I think it's largely why we hit it off and, and kicked off such a great friendship is that there can be tremendous gains associated with being oppositional when I think a lot of times we only maybe fixate on the downsides.
2: You're you're so right. And th- by the way, the research bears that out. A lot of people think that, you know, nodding your head yes is going to get you ahead in your career track when many times it's the exact opposite. And a, a lot of research has been done with C-level executives that they actually respect people who uh, argue a position persuasively mm-hmm. and can convince them to question their own POV. Uh, for example, take Eric Schmidt when he was at Google. He said, we run this company on questions, not answers. Yeah, And I think part of being oppositional is being to able to ask questions. And the sad truth of it, and this gets back to, you know, the advantages of sometimes being more like a kid. Kids ask a lot of questions. But what happens with society, we beat it out of them, right? Mm -hmm. Like we say, we're breaking a horse, we're teaching a horse to be civilized. A lot of the spirit within kids is broken down. And in the book, we talk about research that the average you know, five or six year old ask hundreds of questions a day. Do you know what happens, Pete, when they become teenagers? Tell us. It comes down to asking maybe two or three questions a day. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to rock the boat anymore. They've been taught to stay in line, to do as they're told, to be a good little boy and good little girl, uh, to be excellent sheep. By the way, that's a great book written by a Yale professor talking about how we're doing a disservice to our young people today of saying, hey, we want you to be physicists. We want you to be poets. We don't want you to start the next great NGO. But sometimes we're giving them the kind of message that we'd rather have you be big three consultants and just get in line and do what others do.
1: <laughs> I was a big three consultant, you know, but I left, I got out of line in a big way. It was so I remember people say, so Pete, what are you thinking about doing? I was like, yeah, I want to go uh, write books and speak and uh, coach. And they're like, Oh, and they, they all said the same thing. Well, Now's the time to do it. You know, when you're 25 and don't have kids or totally a wife, which was not an endorsement of, you're going to be great. Totally. <laughs> totally. Like, let me encourage you without uh, rendering a judgment yeah. on your, your yeah. success.
2: It worked out. <laughs> so I think giving ourselves permission to be a little more out there in however we define that phrase can often be. The key to our success. The good news is you don't have to jump outside your organization, right? I was on the phone with a client from one of our uh, largest academic institutions that we represent that I'm wearing their t shirt, hint, hint. They're go. based in Columbus, Ohio. And she loves the fact that she has the reputation of being someone who, in a respectful way, asks the right questions, rather than just following the pack. And for Mm -hmm. her, that's been key to her success within a large organization. So you don't just have to be an entrepreneur, you can make some primitive moves within a huge bureaucracy and benefit from it. Right, okay, Well, so now I wanna get a quick take from you
1: in terms of, we're talking about conventions and how we can break them. Do you have any just real quick do's and don'ts in terms of, hey, convention, you probably want to break and convention,
2: you probably don't want to break. Let me give you some ideas on conventions that you can break. And we talk about this in the book. Another anecdote and rule that I think you can think about is uh, sometimes you got to be the craziest dog in the fight. I learned that from an esteemed venture capitalist, Todd Degris, who runs Spark Capital. He's invested in everything from Twitter to Tumblr to Square to First Dibs, et cetera. And and the idea there is you do sometimes have to be nuts. You have to be more out there, more daring, more willing to ride the tiger, live on the edge. And that's something that oftentimes we're taught not to do. We're taught to do the, you know, analysis paralysis thing, but we know where that gets us. Not very far.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now tell me, Marco, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: I think we want to, remind listeners that some of the brightest people out there are people that see their professional life as an adventure rather than just a job, rather than just showing up. So I'll give one of my favorite examples of an author that I've learned a ton from, And the reason I mention it, he's more than just an author. He's also an MIT professor. He's also a social entrepreneur. And I'm talking about Alan Lightman. If you look at his Wikipedia, it's like mind-blowing. You know, the guy writes textbooks on astrophysics. Um, Then he became the first professor at MIT to institute a writing requirement that you have to actually learn and understand the English language and literature. Mm -hmm. He then uh, became a writer himself and has written many bestsellers. And then he went to Southeast Asia and started. A nonprofit to take a new generation of women leaders uh, to th- new heights. Right. So the reason I mention it is, forget about focus, mm. forget about domain expertise. Alan is an example of someone who lives on the edge and has that childlike curiosity, and it's been his jet fuel. So for me, a lot of us are playing it too damn safe. And we need to start roaming and jump from field to field. And we have some great examples, including some, you know, rocket scientists out there like Alan Lightman from MIT. All right, thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring? One of it comes from Troy Anderson, who wrote a book about the Chinese game Go. Did you ever play Go? Oh yeah, with the little pebbles, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things he says about the book, applying it to business, and he went to Stanford Business School, is quote, "Don't get too attached." To your first moves. And I think a lot of people, whether they're starting a business, whether they have a new job and they look at the job description and they say, well, I'm going to be doing A, B and C. And then they might realize they have to shift gears very quickly, and they're doing, you know, a W-Y-Z. So I think being nimble is something that a more primitive mind feels comfortable with, as opposed to someone who is more circumscribed, who is following the exact recipe according to the cookbook. You know, the primitives improvise. They're more spontaneous. They throw a little bit of basil in, a little bit of pepper in, and out comes something great. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, thank you. And now could you share a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
2: Yeah, I mean, we talked about some of the research that connotes the importance of being uh, a a childlike and being uh, oppositional. And and I want to touch on that oppositional point and really bring it home. When I was in college, way back when, the best airline in the world, Swiss Air. Mm -hmm. Well, back around 2001, um, Swiss Air, like a lot of, of airlines, had a challenge. They brought in consultants, no offense to your former colleagues at the mm-hmm. big three, and they said Swiss Air has got to do what we say, read the best practices, we did the benchmarking, you got to do this, and all the nice, very polite, diplomatic people in Geneva and Zurich said, yes, 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 we got to do this. Well, what happened? They went out of business. Part of why they went out of business, the research said, is there was no one really presenting that alternative point of view. What's another way that we can do this? So there was groupthink, and that groupthink brought down one of the most successful airlines of all time. Mm -hmm. Okay, and how about a favorite book? It's about the 1940 Cincinnati Reds. It's written by Brian Mulligan, and it's about the various challenges that the team that had the first ever suicide of a player during a major league season and how people reacted to that suicide. And part of the reaction was these hardened players, many of which emerged from the Depression, many of which went on to fight World War II, after the suicide of one of their colleagues, uh, a kid named Hirschberger from Southern California, what they learned is don't make fun of people, don't boo people, because that has consequences. And bullying is not cool. And they learned that back from a 1940 episode. Uh, we see plenty of examples of that with cyberbullying. If I can just give a plug to one other book that made a big impact on me oh, sure? over the last year. It's called In Praise of Wasting Time. Mm. And guess who wrote it? Professor Alan Lightman of MIT, in praise of wasting time, came from an amazing TED Talk that Alan gave about two years ago. And here we are in an age where everyone is trying to maximize every minute, be billable. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to that billability phrase. And what Alan says is let's do the opposite. Let's just sometimes zone out have a great idea in the shower, right? Speaking of research, it shows why sometimes great ideas happen in the shower. or on a long walk or when we're not forcing ourselves to think of something and come up with a solution, we just let our mind wander. We let our mind roam and great things happen.
1: All right, good deal, thank you.
2: And how about a favorite tool, something you used to be
1: awesome at your job?
2: Let me connect it to another favorite book. Okay. Deep Work by Cal Newport from Georgetown. Have you had him on? Uh,
1: soon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, being productive in a distracted age, and I quote him in mm. the book. Right? Everyone is. I like to say not nine one one mode, uh, like the nine one one operator. We're always reactive. We're always going to, on someone else's agenda while, rather than our own. How fast can we respond to that email? How fast can we send spend to that text message? Am I looking at my Slack twenty four seven, et cetera, et cetera? Wrong. 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 We need to instead give us time, as Alan Lightman says, to step back and actually think. So here's my tool. I start with the simplest app on my iPhone, which is the memos app. And that's the first thing I do in the morning after meditating and a hot bath because I wake up without a need for coffee. I just start with a blank slate and I create. It might be a memo to a client. It might be an idea for an opinion piece. It might be the chapter of a book. It might be an email that I want to write a colleague. But I think if you set the agenda at the start of the day, then that's your agenda as opposed to following other people's agenda. So be more of a goat that, you know, climbs the top of the mountain rather than a sheep following the flock. And part of that starts with you write, what you want to start the day with rather than consuming what other people want to start the day with.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Now, could you share with us a key nugget, something that you share that you're known for that resonates with folks?
2: You know, getting back to insecurity, I'm a shrink-going, upper-west side, uh, middle-aged Jewish guy. And um, I like to tell a lot of people who work for me, uh, not just, you know, only the paranoid survive, as Andy Grove said, but that a little bit of anxiety is underrated, right? I I want people that show a little fear in their eye. I want people that are given an assignment and say, wow, how am I going to pull this off? I want people who don't think they know it all. Right. They don't think that just because they aced the SAT and went to an Ivy League school that they figured it all out. Quite the contrary. I want people who are hungry and especially amongst the venture capitalists that I've worked with, you know, a lot of them like Todd Daigris, they don't care what school you went to. He went to Trinity, uh, which is a great school in Connecticut. But, you know, he he didn't go to Harvard. He didn't go to Yale. He didn't go to MIT. He wouldn't have gotten in in a million years. He also has a chip on his shoulder, which is another thing that I talk about in the book. Yes, have a chip on your shoulder. We're told that that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. So whether it's having a chip on your shoulder, whether it's realizing that anxiety is underrated, I think it's time that we, you know, interject into the business nomenclature some stuff that's uh, often counterintuitive, but can help people uh, leapfrog in their career rather than stand in line and wait for someone to tap them on the shoulder and promote them or tap them on the shoulder and tell them uh, they got to move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, it's easy to remember. Primitivebook.com. You'll find information on the book. You'll find some information on me Um, I'm also really active on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And
1: do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: One of uh, my favorite psychologists is a guy named Albert Ellis who really started the behavioral uh, school of psychology. So one of his great books is How to Stop Making Yourself Miserable About Anything. Yes, anything. And I want to share his wisdom, which is, uh, you know, what I said at the beginning of our show, you got to stop shooting on yourself. Mm -hmm. Stop shooting on yourself. A lot of people put themselves in the corner and said, well, I should go to business school or I should be more left brain and quantitative, or I should do what my parents have been telling me to do and take the MCAT, F all of that. And you listen to what that little boy and little girl in you always wanted to do. And for me, I always wanted to write and I always wanted to speak. And I wasn't courageous enough like you to do it in 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 my mid-20s. Uh, I'm not leaving my day job anytime soon, but I'm finally doing it at 55. So it shows that it's never too late. And you can honor that inner spirit, that primitive spirit that can often tell you, a lot more than your more cerebral mind.
1: All right, Marco, thanks so much for spending this time. I wish you lots of luck in all of your primitive adventures.
2: Really appreciate the opportunity, Pete, and and uh, continue the great work that you're doing at, uh, awesome at your job. And I will uh, continue to be a loyal listener.
1: I really appreciated Marco's take that the most successful people are kind of nuts. And it really follows in terms of if you're doing sort of everything the same as everyone else, you'd probably expect results to be in the same ballpark as everyone else. But when you do things that depart from the norm, you'll get results that depart from the norm. Maybe those results are desirable. Maybe they're undesirable. But in terms of true greatness, that's kind of what... What it takes. So I find that encouraging whenever maybe you feel a little weird or out there or off base, just know you're in great company, as Marco shared. And hopefully you could find a little bit more courage and stick to itiveness to pursue things well that way, knowing that it is a proven way to make great things happen as opposed to sort of average, normal mediocre things happen. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F564. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. We got Jonah Sachs and he is talking about unsafe thinking, how you can break free from patterns of thought to get to new, cool, creative places. Hope to catch you there and peace.